I direct your attention this morning to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 28. We'll read the first 10 verses of this text. Matthew 28, beginning at verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid, go and tell my brothers that I tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. This is the word of our God. Father, help us now that we see this rightly. May it be great encouragement to our souls, for we ask it in Christ's name, amen. There's been betrayal, mockery, cruelty, Sorrow, horrid grief, crushed hopes, dashed expectations. David's greater son voluntarily gives up his life on the cross and while so doing, saves one of those near him. Divine vandalism has been done to the temple. The veil split from top to bottom. The silence of Saturday has been endured. Sabbath has come and gone. At the 28th chapter, the first verse, we enter the scene with darkness once again, only it's the darkness of very early morning. All four gospel accounts include accounts of the resurrection. While there are differences in the accounts, which is what you'd expect from eyewitnesses. You get it, friends. If it all reads the same in all four accounts, word for word, there's a term for that called collusion. The game's been fixed. But the differences in the eyewitness testimony actually lend to it that matter of reality, that this is true what has happened. 
Matthew includes four distinct features in his account here. The earthquake, the angel rolling away the stone, the effect on the guards, and then the women's meeting with Jesus himself. We assert today there was a literal bodily resurrection. I love the way David Platt puts this. We live in a day when religion is looked at as a matter of preference or opinion. Many people believe that all religions are fundamentally the same. The differences are only superficial. Simply go about your life and choose what works best for you, and along the way, the question of truth can be completely avoided. Living that way is a huge, costly mistake. The fact is, every gathering of the people of God on the first day of the week is a celebration of the resurrection. Every single Sunday is a celebration. He is risen. Okay, I just want to make sure I still had you. It's early. Far too often, far too readily, we let our fears drive our thoughts, emotions, plans, and aspirations. With, with, with fear, when it dominates us, we're not remembering the reality of Christ's resurrection. The resurrected Christ eliminates our fear. This conquest of death is to eliminate our fear. Two things that I have you consider. First, overwhelming fear in the presence of a holy messenger. Now, the women are on their way. They're coming in the darkness. Darkness giving way to dawn. They're going to the tomb. They knew where they were going. You read earlier in chapter 27 that after his death, uh, that he is taken by Joseph of Arimathea, who had gone to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. He takes him, wraps him in a shroud, lays him in a new tomb that had been cut out there specifically for Joseph, seals it up with a great heavy stone. We're told in verse 61, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. Let me point out to you, my friend, there is historicity in the details. People are named. Joseph, Pilate, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph. Places are named. Galilee, Golgotha, the tomb, the garden. But also keep in mind something extraordinary here. Two women are the first witnesses of the resurrection. Here's a little helpful biblical theology, ladies. By the woman, sin enters the world. By a woman, the Savior enters the world. And now by women, the first witnesses of the resurrection bring that proclamation to the world. We see in this not only what they were doing, we also recognize, I believe, echoes of Sinai. Earthquakes, stones being moved, fear. In Exodus 19, we're told Sinai was wrapped in smoke. 
because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. The Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. What Matthew tells us is there was an earthquake when the angel descended. Now, I'm not sure. One wonders if every angelic visit causes a bit of a tremor. That our fallen physical world has a hard time enduring the touch of holy angels. But we're also reminded that angels are the ones who give the law of Moses, is what we're told. Hebrews chapter 2, the author exhorts us, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Angels are all around the matter of the incarnation of the Son of God. It's angels who bring the announcements to those involved before anything happens. I'm always fascinated by these encounters. The problem with too much imagination is you might make stuff up, so I have to be careful here. But I'm, I'm so taken with how Gabriel responds to Zechariah about the announcement that they're going to have a boy and John will be his name. This is going to happen. And, <laughs> and Zachariah does, I think, what I would have done. It's like, really? How, how do I know this is going to happen? How do I know this is true? And Gabriel, I put this as part of angelic incredulity. They just don't. I'm Gabriel. I'm from the presence of God. God told me to tell you. I tell you what, just shut up. You just don't talk again. If that's the best you can do, you spend the next nine months thinking about it. Angels make announcements to all those involved. Angels attend him at the end of the temptation in the wilderness. Angels attend him in the Garden of Eden as he cries out for the strength to submit to the will of his Father. Angels show up at the resurrection. Of course the guards were afraid. They were supposed to be. In fact, I love the way Matthew puts it, they became like dead men. Do you get the irony? They're assigned to guard a corpse, and they become like corpses. There's no angelic comfort for the guards. They're supposed to be afraid. Bear in mind, my friend, whenever you hear people talk about angels, and it wasn't that long ago, angels were a big deal in our culture. They were really a part of the fabric of American culture, and every time I heard people talk about that, I'm like, I don't think you people understand what angels are actually like. When angels show up, people tremble. When angels show up, you're freaked out. When the reality of the unseen realm becomes seen, tangible, it tends to throw us into panic. Mostly because we are so sinful 
presence of an actual holy being is disruptive. You also catch on, there's no implication the earthquake had anything to do with releasing Jesus. The stones rolled back, the seal is broken, the soldiers are helpless, not to let Jesus escape, but to let the first witnesses look to see. Overwhelming fear in the presence of a holy messenger, followed by my second point, overwhelming joy in the presence of the risen Christ. Now, the angel does what often has to be done. Don't be afraid. He didn't say that to the guards. They were supposed to be. How many times do we see this as the Lord or an angel comes to his people? Don't be afraid. Or the King James is even quicker with the two words, fear not. I know why you're here. You seek Jesus who was crucified. And I, do you get the picture, brothers and sisters? They, the women have come and they would like to do something for Jesus, but they know there's a heavy stone there. And although they don't know how they'd move the stone, the, the, the agony of their hearts, their love, their devotion will not let them stay away. And they show up and it's dim and the light is just coming. And as they get there to the tomb, uh, there's guards lying about in a stupor. And there's an angel who has taken the seal of the tomb and turned it into a seat. Angelic furniture, if you will. He's sitting on the stone casually. And what does he open with? Don't be afraid. I know why you're here. You seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen. And will you note as he said. For angels, if God speaks, it happens. If God promises, it's fulfilled. If God in the flesh said, and he did. In the Gospel of Matthew, easily you find four times, Matthew 16, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Matthew 17, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he'll be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. Matthew 20, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the disciples aside and on the way he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to chief priests and scribes. They will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified and he will be raised on the third day. And even in the 27th chapter, we see that in a sense, the chief priests and Pharisees had more faith than the disciples. Sir, they went to Pilate. We remember how this imposter said, while he was alive, still alive after three days, all rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he's risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. And Pilate says to them, you, you've got to hear this. There has to be sarcasm of the highest order. You have a guard of soldiers. 
Go make it as secure as you can. Crucified criminals don't get out of tombs. They don't come back. Nothing in Pilate's thoughts or experience made him believe this was even a possibility. John Stott puts it this way, the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, bear a common witness to the fact that Jesus both clearly foresaw and repeatedly foretold his death. And the angel invites them, come and see. Come on, take a look. He's not here. And what did that seeing do for them? What does seeing that empty tomb do? Spurgeon saw four things. Quickly, when we see the grave, we see the condescension of Jesus Christ. When we see the grave, we should see the horror of our sin. When we see the grave, we should be reminded we too shall die. And when we see the grave, we see that Jesus is not in it. Imperatives drive the text at this point. Come and see, go and tell. But it's not just the angels. And do you see that? I love that. When he tells them not to be afraid, tells them to look, says, go and tell his disciples. And you see in the eighth verse, two things come together. With fear and great joy. With fear and great joy. We are complex creatures. Encountering the triune God or his representatives unhinges us a bit too. But with the fear, there should be great joy. And I love this. They ran to tell his disciples. And then verse 9, Christ's actual presence. When he says greetings, it was a common common way to greet one it's kind of the modern equivalent of hello hi i mean it's it's striking and how casual it is almost like oh i came down to the garden for a walk hi ladies how you doing greetings and <laughs> they came up take hold of his feet they worship him he is resurrected physically they are able to touch his feet they were, they were afraid, and yet they are joyful. They were not hesitant to worship Him. Now, they're told, verse 7, He's going before you to Galilee. There you'll see Him. See, I've told you. And then Jesus is going to say something very similar. Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Why the meeting in Galilee? It'll be the place for the restoration of the family relationship that they surely believed was absolutely destroyed in Gethsemane, in their abandonment, and certainly by his death. Why Galilee? Matthew's Gospel does contain a couple of themes. The Messiah emerges from a despised area 
and first sheds his light on a despised people. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those that are poor in spirit. For this reason, the risen Jesus first appears to women whose value as witnesses among the Jews is worthless. Here's another evidence, my friends, of the reality of his account. Women were not taken seriously as witnesses to anything. They would not be called to bear witness even in a trial. And if this is a put-up job and they're trying to do everything they can to make it real, they would never have made up that women came. Mm. Galilee of the Gentiles is compatible with the growing theme of Gentile mission in this gospel. It prepares for the end of chapter 28. Go where? Into the whole world. Be my witnesses. My brothers and sisters, two millennia, the people of God, those who are actually his, have believed and affirmed a bodily resurrection. Every Easter in that celebration, there's an element of great fear and great joy. I think the fear at times drives us because we feel like we haven't lived this out very well. But the joy that death has been conquered should move us. Let me ask you this question. Are you fearful? Is the thought of meeting the resurrected Jesus terrifying to you? Then, my friend, I call on you to repent and believe in him. Don't run away. Run to him. Great joy, that's, that's where it should be. Certainly, the resurrection is an apologetic, a defense of our Christian faith. James Boyce said it plainly, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, Jesus was mistaken in the announcement that he would rise. He was mistaken that he was the divine son of God. And if he's not God, his death on the cross was not a true atonement for our sins. D.A. Carson, because the resurrection is central to Christian theology, few subjects have received more attention. Paul goes so far as to say that if Christ was not raised from the dead, Christian faith is vain, and we are still dead in our sins. I don't remember the brother who said this. I think maybe it was Jared Wilson. Religion makes a poor hobby. If there is no resurrection, we ought to stop the charade. The old Presbyterian theologian, B.B. Warfield, from the empty grave of Jesus, the enemies of the cross turn away in unconcealable dismay. Christ has risen from the dead after 2,000 years of the most determined assault upon the evidence which established it, that fact stands. And so long as it stands, Christianity too must stand as the one supernatural religion. Oh, good. It wouldn't be Easter without something weird like that happening. Bless you with us. My friends, the resurrection is true. Jesus is alive. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father where he shall reign until all his enemies are under his feet. And what does Paul tell us? 
the last enemy is death. When we look about, that doesn't seem true. Death looks to be winning. Cemeteries are full. And more land being purchased for more burial. But you see, my friends, the fact is there's a great reversal coming through the power and might of he who has conquered death. He who was dead and is now alive forevermore. Oh, my friend, believe him. Trust him. Great fear. Great joy. He is alive. Father, may this your word encourage our hearts this day. Father, if we know that Christ indeed is risen, we know that there's more to this life than what merely stands in front of us. We know, oh Lord, we know that in our mistakes, our failures, our sinfulness, the triumph is not in those things, but rather in what Christ has done for us by his death burial and resurrection lord may we lift our eyes may we realize we are united with christ in his death burial and resurrection and we are to live now as people who have been raised from the dead oh lord grant to us that we can live lives that honor you grant to us today so many here today may be hopeless may hope spring to life if death is conquered then nothing else can be left unconquered by the power of the Spirit, the Word of our God, and the purposes of our risen Savior. Encourage us now, we ask, in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand?